uh, as someone who has given their life to being a, uh, a public speaker, I have made it my desire to follow other people who I think are compelling communicators. And so uh, there are certain people that even if I disagree with them, uh, I'll kind of move past the content if I feel like there is a kind of dynamic part of them in a speaking capacity. And so a lot of those people are obviously public figures, but a lot of them I end up following as great communicators are comedians. A comedian is able to stand up and work off a script, connect the dots in their mind, and be able to land the plane in, in a certain amount of time. And so there's been different people uh, over the years that I've just felt like were worth listening to and paying attention to, not just because they made me laugh, but because I thought they were genius communicators. And so one of those people uh, that I found was uh, Jerry Seinfeld. And so I've kind of followed him. I loved Seinfeld back in the 90s. Uh, but I found this story, and this kind of sets up what I want to talk about today, and it was called the Seinfeld Strategy. And the Seinfeld Strategy kind of unfolded like this. There was a young comedian by the name of Brad Isaac, and he was just starting out on the comedy circuit. And one night, he found himself in a club where Jerry Seinfeld was working out some material, and he was also performing. And so he got to connect with him backstage. Jerry had already declared himself, you know, this, this icon of the comedy industry. But years later in an interview, Isaac shared what happened when he caught him backstage. And he asked him, hey, do you got any tips for a young comic coming up? And he said that the way to become a better comic was to create better jokes. And the way to create better jokes was to write something every day. And what he said was, he told me to, to create a big wall calendar. You know, those ones where you look at kind of a year at a glance? Uh, and he takes a big red magic marker. And he says, he said, for each day that I do my task of writing, I put a big red X over the day. And after a few days, Seinfeld says, <clears throat> you'll see the chain. And he says, just keep at it. And the chain will no longer, uh, will grow longer every day. And he says, you'll see the chain. And especially when you get a few weeks under your belt of the big red X's, he says, your only job then is don't break the chain. That's Seinfeld's strategy. Now, what I think that is fascinating about that is that you'll notice that Seinfeld didn't say anything uh, about results, right? You can't sit down and write a home run. You can't write uh, to somehow like have a finishing joke. He says, every day, just write. It didn't matter if he was motivated or not. It didn't matter if... It, if he thought he was writing a great joke or not. It didn't matter if what was, uh, if he was working uh, would ever make it into an actual showcase. All that mattered was that you weren't breaking the chain. And that's one of the simple secrets behind Seinfeld's remarkable productivity and consistency. And for years, the comedian simply focused on not breaking the chain. So I hear a story like that and I can't help but think of it this way. To you and I, as people of faith, faithfulness to us isn't results, it's simply the new success, right? Faithfulness is the new success because that's simply who God is. Just being consistent 
with what we believe is true can be the biggest hurdle toward transformation. The reality, and we all know this, is anything worth pursuing, a good marriage, being a good parent, spiritual growth, generosity, compassion, patience, will not come easy and will not come without effort. And even the best laid plans with the highest IQ, a strong work ethic doesn't guarantee us or always means success. We know this to be true. But if we're rooted in Christ, and what I mean by rooted is our identity is in Christ, our, our sense of self-worth, our true affection, what we do is we learn to see God as the source of our uh, the strength of our lives, and it frees us to pursue a life of faithfulness simply to an audience of one. Now, I want to revisit. We've been in a series called Speaking Truth to Power. And today, I'd encourage you just to have something to write with and jot a few notes because I'm actually, and I don't often do this, going to give you a three-point message that I think these points will have some traction in your life. And we're diving back into the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it'll be up on the, on the chat section, but I want to encourage you maybe to even open your own Bible so you can maybe make some notations as we go. When we talk about speaking truth to power, it's often this prophetic word, like we disagree, so I'm going to speak truth in some way, whether it be an inflammatory way or whether it feel a disagreeing way. But in this picture, we have God speaking truth to the power of David, and David hasn't necessarily done anything wrong. And so what I think is beautiful and so easy to hear about this is this. We just sang a song from The Blessing, and we echoed the phrase again and again, he is for you. He is for you. And so when we say God is for us, what we're understanding is that even though God speaks through the prophet Nathan into the life of David, he is advocating for us in a way that is life-giving. He's not coming to correct us as in a critical way. He's coming to speak truth into our life in a constructive way. So I want you to hear today the one thing of the, the, the voice of the Lord calling out saying, he is for you. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7 announces the Lord's promise that David's dynasty would endure forever. Now, the greatest aspiration in, in the ancient world was that you would have a good name. That's why they always wanted sons, because sons would carry on the name but it would be a lasting legacy. And here, David hits the jackpot. Despite being a flawed man with some dysfunctional family relationships, which are very evident in the following chapters, but after all the battles, David had settled into the palace in Jerusalem physically, but get this, he was unsettled spiritually. If there was something true back then as it is today, it's this. There is no spiritual retirement in the kingdom of God. And if we want to talk about David as a man after God's own heart, it's that he never could get complacent or, or, or somehow comfortable spiritually with God. And he wouldn't rest on his accomplishments. And his restlessness 
was that the ark, the ark of the covenant, the actual presence of God had no permanent home. And so for David, faithfulness to God was rooted in a growing living faith. It was almost like he was implying applying the Seinfeld strategy, don't break the chain. I fought battle after battle. I've said yes after yes. I've escaped and I looted. I've done all of these things. And now that he arrives in Jerusalem in his beautiful palace, he's like, what next, Lord? Bring it on, right? Because he didn't want He didn't want to break the chain. And so let me just preview the three points that I want to make today, because God speaks truth to the power of possessions. And David had accumulated a lot, just like you and I have. He spoke truth to the power of accomplishment. And some of you have a lot of ambition, but you've accomplished a lot. And thirdly, God speaks truth to the power of legacy. And I want to look at those three things in light of this passage out of 2 Samuel, because what we'll find is that God is eternally and ever for us. So the first thing he does in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, is where God speaks truth to the power of possessions, because accumulation and wealth was something that they dealt with back then like we deal with today. Now listen to what he says. After the king, David, had settled in the palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies. Doesn't that sound like a great verse? He'd given him rest from all of his enemies. That sounds like he's arrived, but he hasn't. He said to Nathan, the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of of God remains in a tent. And Nathan's just sitting back listening, and he says these words. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. In other words, Nathan, the prophet of God, the man of God, could see where the king's heart was, and he's like, keep coming. I think you've got something here. So just let me ask the question, what if someone you knew who was appointed by God said to you, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Think about that. What would you do knowing with full confidence that God is on your side? What would you start? What would you change? What would you do different? Because For David, faithfulness was the new success, right? It was not breaking the chain. It was keep going. And even though he had arrived in this plush place, he would not go comfortable because of his affections for God were greater than his his sort of earthly contentment. Now, David lived in the palace within a walled city. He had conquered nations. He had possessed their lands. He had amassed great wealth, and he held unparalleled power But his driving thought was simply this. How can I remain faithful to the Lord, my God? See, we all have goals. We all have ambitions. We all have hopes. We all have dreams. Some of them are good. Some of them are of God. Some of them might be self-serving. But the but we have successes. We have accomplishments. We have education. We have experience. We have influence already here and now. And the question is, what does it produce in us? David recognized that the hand of God, recognized that the hand of God, despite his own skill and success. 
So the conversation starts with him and Nathan, the prophet, because the Ark of the Covenant had had no permanent dwelling. And while David was in a lavish palace, God had a tent. And so what comes is an invitation to build a temple, though not by David's hand. David was willing. David was faithful. And that's all that mattered to God. And when it came to possessions, David would not be possessed. See, I'm convinced that sometimes in us working out our salvation, we need salvation from our stuff. Sometimes our stuff, our dreams, our ambition, our debt, it owns us. David had this freedom, this liberty in his own heart, and he would not be possessed by his possessions. And, and God, through Nathan, was affirming that. Whatever you seek, go down that road because God is with you. He wouldn't be content. Now, the second thing that we see out of this passage is that God speaks truth to the power of accomplishment. Look at what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from, the follow, and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked men will not oppress them anymore. And and they did it at the beginning, as they did at the beginning, and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give them rest from all your enemies. And the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you when your days are over and you will rest with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish a throne for his kingdom forever. Lot there. Let me peel back a couple of layers. What we find out of this passage as God speaks truth to the power of accomplishment. I mean, essentially, David is in, entering into retirement mode. He's saying to David, buddy, you've come a long way, but I've been with you every step. So lest you think that you've actually accomplished this without me, I need to remind you, the strength and the success of David wasn't in his military prowess, in his handsome appearance, in his leadership charisma, in his political savvy, or his survival skills. Those things were all powerfully present in his whole life, for his whole life. David's greatest gift, and this is what we can take away from this, the kind that made him a man after God's own heart, was that he saw God as the source. The source of his strength, the source of his success. See, his confidence wasn't in his accomplishment, 
or is an accumulation or even in his reputation. The secret to the success was acknowledging that though he came from nothing and found great wealth and power, all he attained was simply a gift for God. And so instead of clenching fists, he's holding all that he attained and saying, God, this is just a sacred trust. It's all from you. See, it's easy for us over time to think that all our work, all our effort, all of our long days and long nights, we put in to accomplish something and subtly forget God's gracious provision. David never felt entitled or deserving, which is what made him a man after God's own heart. And so God in this moment speaks truth to the power of his accomplishments. I was with you from the very beginning like I am today. So why stop just because you've attained all of this? Now, the third thing that I think is remarkable here is that he speaks truth to the power of legacy. And each of us today, right now, are building one daily. You might be thoughtful about that. You might be unaware of that. But each of us are building a legacy each and every day. Now, here's what happens in this text. In a beautiful kind of play on words, he says that David is not to build him a house. In other words, a temple. And if you look at the language, you see that when God references this, it's in reference to building a new temple in Jerusalem. Rather, God will build a house that is a royal dynasty, a legacy that will last forever. And what he's referring to is the lineage, the genealogy that would come through David and all his dysfunctional children and usurping sons all along the way and lead us to Jesus. This would be what would be through God's designation and his legacy that would give us the birth of Jesus into this world. Let me just say a little bit about dynasty. A dynasty acknowledges a prominent and a powerful family. You talk about the Ming dynasty or whatever. I mean, we have dynasties that we talk about, but it's typically limited to a specific period of time that becomes a part of history. But here's where it's different. A legacy is a heritage that remains long after the reign is over. A legacy lingers. A legacy grows. And it breathes, if I could say it that way, long after we're gone. We use the term dynasty today in terms of sports franchises, like the Warriors right now have been in a dynasty scene. And so they've won the most championships during this era, or we talk about a, a, a football dynasty uh, because they win like three of five years of championships. This is a legacy that keeps breathing long after the players retire. And so we are all part of a legacy of Christ. If Christ lives in us, then we want Christ to breathe in us. And we gather and we study God's word. We worship together. We serve because of this ancient teaching of a Hebrew rabbi. And we're also part of creating or furthering that legacy, starting with our children, but also it includes our career, our marriage, our influence, and our resources. These are all cumulative effects in building a legacy. 
And this is what faithfulness to Christ and his church creates in the world. And every generation needs to be part of passing the legacy of Christ on, passing that baton on. And so let me just do this in closing. We will end where we started. The power of legacy is simply built on simple faithfulness. But faithfulness is not always easy. It's simple obedience and being consistent to what we believe is true about God and what God desires so that we, like David, can be a person after God's own heart, warts and all. In fact, I always like to tell parents the hardest part about parenting is simply being consistent. Maybe the same thing can be said about walking with Christ daily. The hardest part is to just simply be consistent with what we say is true about God and understanding what God's desires and aligning our life with that. Oh, I don't feel like going to church today. I don't feel like serving the body. I don't feel like helping this time around. I'll let someone else do it. And yet the best thing we can do for our own spiritual formation, for growing that legacy, is to say, I do to our vow to Christ daily. So about 20 years ago, I was um, had the opportunity to go to um, a Jerry Seinfeld show. It was, um, <laughs> it must have been 5,000 people in this auditorium, and it was this kind of steep uh, tiered uh, auditorium where the, 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 the balcony levels just kind of went up higher and higher, and so everyone was kind of looking down in this big amphitheater type setting, and Jerry Seinfeld was so brilliant that night. I mean, he was laugh out loud funny, but he had a one hour set that he just kept tight despite the distractions. And it became kind of frustrating, except he was able to roll with the punches and he was having technical difficulties. And he started mocking the fact because everyone was sort of like, all he had in terms of his production was there was lighting on him and a microphone. And he starts going, this is all I'm working with people. And it was funny because he was mocking that it's not like this, you know, pyrotechnic show. It was just a microphone and they couldn't figure out the microphone. Well, people were getting bothered and people were starting to yell out and he just started responding. And every time he responded to hecklers or to people trying to communicate with him from the fourth balcony up, he was just like, I can't do anything about it. But he wouldn't say that. But it was in Birmingham, Alabama, and so that is important because the geography of his reply became what was so funny and so seamless. And so he's like, look at this is all I've got. And people are yelling, we can't hear you. And he's like, what? I I'm, and he's, he's kind of getting frustrated, but he would never skip a beat. And so he responds to the hecklers and he's like, look at I don't own a pickup truck, like mocking the fact that he's like, I don't speak Southern. Start at the Mason-Dixon line and just go north. That's where I'm from. And everyone's just rolling because there's this frustration that he can do nothing about. But the person was dead set on being heard from the fourth balcony. And he just like seamlessly just kept laughing, kept the laughs going. It was brilliant. And he finally gets to his conclusion. He lands the, the, the last joke. He sticks the landing. And I look at my watch and it goes right at 60 minutes. And I was like, how in the world does he do it? 
He's got a tight 60 minute set. He's dealing with distractions and interruptions. He's got kind of well-meaning hecklers. And yet at 60 minutes, he was done standing ovation. People didn't feel cheated in the slightest bit. He was genius. The thing about working your craft, or in our case, growing as a disciple, is that faithfulness always allows us to seamlessly respond to life's distractions, life's hecklers, and all the interruptions that just come that want to take our affections away from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that as you lead into this week. I want you to think, what are the things that are crowding God out of our life? And if Pastor Damaris, if you would just kind of close us out in a time of prayer and, and thought and contemplation, would you just kind of guide us into a prayer time as we close our worship together? Yeah, let's pray together. God, I pray that uh, this word that we've heard this morning, um, that it would resonate with our spirits, Lord, um, that it would do more than be good sounding words to our ears, but Lord, that it would propel us to a, a life of more Christ-centeredness, more dependence on the spirit, a growing awareness of your presence. Um, Lord, as we see in the scripture this morning that you spoke truth to the power of possessions and accomplishment and legacy, that God, many times in our own lives, we can become encumbered um, with possessions and with accomplishments and with our own idea of legacy. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us about those things, um, that we would have a sensitivity uh, in our hearts, in our minds uh, to be challenged on those fronts, God, and for you to do a restorative work and a redemptive work in us. And God, we ask that as we go through this week, that um, we realize that discipleship is about getting into your word to follow after you, seeking you in prayer to follow after you. And so help us not to neglect those things, Lord. Help us not to get too busy with our schedules, but to lay aside something so that we can pick up something that is most ultimate in our lives, which is you and being with you. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.